HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. You can't have plant-based breakfast without a plant-based egg. You can get started with a free sample. Just head to ju.st slash hrn. This week on Meet and 3, it's the final episode of our series on global trade. We're thinking futuristically, from China's ambitious plans for a new Silk Road to the future of borders and automation. If you're a banana, you know, it's easy to cross the border. But if you're a person who's trying to follow the jobs, uh, it's a lot more difficult, if not impossible, to do so in an authorized and safe fashion. They love food trucks and they love growing your own food because these things are not dependent on essentially government systems. So there's a whole politics to pretzels on the dark web. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, welcome to Japanese. I'm your host, Fatema, a food writer and the director of the New York Japanese Community Academy which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every day in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi ramen is a kaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. My guest today is Danny Tang, who is the founder of Box. Box is the Japanese style pronunciation of Box. And Box delivers to your door the experience of tasting authentic Japanese snacks, candies, and teas sourced directly from generations-old small family businesses. And if you visit Japan, you will instantly know that Japanese people are quite obsessed with both savory and sweet snacks. And laboratory packaged products are ubiquitous, and you can easily get addicted to them. So today, we'll discuss how Danny got into Japanese snacks, why he decided to start a business to deliver them to your door outside of Japan, unique Japanese snacks, artisanal producers he works with, and much, much more. Before we start, Japan is available on the Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whichever you listen to, and subscribe to Japanese. And please write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. And I have a quick announcement. Um, MoFat, or the Museum of Food and Drink, is holding a fantastic online event on Wednesday, March 10th from 8 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The event is called the Miso Shoyu and Samurai, the Cuisine and the Culture of Aichi Prefecture. Known as the home of the Samurai, the Aichi Prefecture is celebrated for its exquisite white soy sauce and umami mitch miso, called Hacho Miso, among many other things. Located between Tokyo and Osaka, Aichi has a distinctive food culture. For example, if you order a cup of coffee at the coffee shop, you also get a free set of breakfast in Nagoya for some reason, which is the capital of the prefecture. Uh, so it's in Nagoya. And during the event, there will be a cooking demo to introduce us to Aichi's unique food products. And Master Bradesmith Murray Carter, who came on the show too uh, a while ago, who received the title of the 17th generation Yoshimoto Bladesmith in Japan, who discussed Japanese craftsmanship. Also, food writer and culinary photographer Michael Holland Tokil 
and I will have a discussion with a guest from IG about the unique food cocktail. For tickets, please go to MoFAD's website. It's www.mofad.org. It's mofad.org slash events and click on March 10th on the calendar. And you can also order specialty ingredients box with IG products with your tickets before March 4th, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard. So hurry, only days are limited. So I hope to see you there. Now let's start a conversation with Danny Tang. Hello, Danny. Welcome to the show. Hi, Akiko. Um, thank you for that really wonderful intro, too. I love how you especially refer to our uh, the Japanese snacks as addicting or addictive. Highly, highly agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so first of all, um, so where are you from and uh, what did you eat when you grew up? Yeah, um, so I was born in New York City, um, right in West Village, actually. And um, my parents were actually living in Bronx at the time. They were refugees of the Khmer Rouge from Cambodia. And so I kind of was raised in Bronx a little bit and then I moved over to New Jersey when I got a little older with my family and was raised there for the rest of the time. Um, growing up, we, of course, ate a lot of um, Chinese food. My parents are ethnically Chinese um, with a little bit of mix of kind of Cambodian flair and some of the cuisine as well. And lots of Asian snacks from all the like kind of Chinese supermarkets that existed in Chinatown. Mm, wow. Okay. And uh, so how did you get into Japanese snacks? Yeah, I mean, so of course I had a little bit of exposure to it when like kind of growing up and just living in the States. But, you know, a very a way I put it is like kind of almost elementary education to it. The, the pakis, the haichus, the things that people are very familiar with. Um, however, I didn't really start super getting into Japanese snacks until I moved and lived there. So I, I lived in Tokyo for over four years um, back after I graduated college and worked for a little bit. And during that time when I was living and working in Japan, I got to travel all throughout the country from Hokkaido to Kyushu to Okinawa and like really discovered and learned that every single region has its own like specialty. Even little cities have their own specialty snacks that are limited just to that area. And it was just so wonderful to see this kind of diversity of handmade or generational or just kind of regional, whatever it is, special snacks there around Japan. Mm, right. That's a great point, actually. Like we, we've been talking about, you know, with my guests, uh, regional sake and other products, but snacks in Japan, in the region, they are so proud of what they have. And sometimes they have special characters and cute anime character looking stuff. <laughs> so that's another thing that they really support local businesses too, I think. For sure. And it's like, you know, because of the whole omiyage culture in Japan, where you're almost like have to, it's almost a must that whenever you travel, you bring back food or drink or something to share with your coworkers and family. It's like, there's just a whole economy around it, as well as this culture where you go somewhere and you find the best thing you can find that's like really represents that area to like share with your loved ones or your coworkers back home. And so then that just gives rise to all this innovation that also occurs because there's so much demand for these products. Mm, that's another really important point, right? That gift culture, omiyage, like souvenir or gift culture is so um, embedded in the whole function of society. Like, you know, the corporate culture is a ochugen, that's a summer gift. If you work for a company, give a gift to your, you know, boss. And then, then at the end of the year, they'll save all. That's another thing. And also, like you said, I think when you take a summer vacation, Japanese people will say, what's the best thing to take home to share with my colleagues in, in Japan? If it's a, what's the classic New York City souvenir? And I was like, huh, I don't know, like bagels? Can you take back yeah. bagels? <laughs> <laughs> and and then also so that's why the japanese packaged uh food is so conveniently separable like you can share just shareable and beautifully packaged so that's a design concept and also the sharing culture it's so tremendously unique i think in japan mm -hmm. i absolutely agree right all right so um Yo, by the way, I, you know, I was looking at your LinkedIn background and just, you went to Stanford and you worked for Google and you worked at Wakten, uh, which is like an Amazon of Japan. It's like, it's amazing. Um, obviously, you're a super smart person. And then you, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're smitten with snacks. So that's kind of an interesting turn. And I love that. So, yeah, um, I, so mean, I wanted to do something I was passionate about. And I love eating. I love food. I love how it brings happiness to people. 
And even though I worked in tech for a few years and I, I enjoy the like fast paced movingness of tech, um, it doesn't have the same type of like visceral impact that like sharing a delicious snack with somebody has mm. for me. <laughs> right. But uh, I was really closely looking at uh, your box website. And uh, I mean, for the research purposes, I just studied, oh, I'll take a look. And then I got to spend so much time, but more than I thought <laughs> I should. It's so well designed. And I, I know you have a tech background, but it's really mm -hmm. well made. And there's a lot of information. So yeah, I really enjoyed Thank your you. website. <laughs> and so uh, let's talk about how unique Japanese snacks are. So what is the difference from those that you can find in the US or some other countries? Yeah, so I mean, I think one of the big differences that a lot of people don't realize is um, just even taking a step back and the fact that in Japanese, there are many, many ways to refer to snacks. There's, right, there's like okashi is a general term, but then there's dagashi, there's wagashi, yogashi, there's a whole level of, and they all mean slightly different things. And like, but I actually had a really hard time with this when I was first starting boxes. How do I convey in English? The kind of subtleties of the fact that we're selling authentic premium Japanese snacks through Boksu. Um, however, in English, it's usually just snacks or treats. And these are both relatively cheap sounding terms. Um, but then I'm just using this as an example to illustrate the fact that in Japan, there's many spectrum of snacks, the cheap kind of mass produced ones that, and candy that kids like to eat. And then as you get older, the omiyage level of snacks that we talked about, which is more of the like, like okashi and wagashi type of level, and that alone shows the difference where there's this emphasis on craftsmanship, quality, taste, texture. It's very thoughtfully designed from the um, kind of packaging to the smell, to the look of the product. And like all of that type of intention, I think is, is not as present, not only in the US snacks, but snacks around the world, honestly. Mm, right. Actually, I was thinking about this question that I'm asking you, and then what, how should I answer it? And I thought, like, in America, for example, muffins are amazing, right? But then if you go to a restaurant, <laughs> there's a amazing plated desserts. And in a Japanese packaged snacks, they have both, right? Like very casual, mm -hmm. approachable um, muffin kind of thing. But also, I don't know how they design the packaging that to keep that delicacy, like different subtle flavors in the factory packaged, beautiful, you know, carryable products so that's what i thought was unique about i mean japanese food technology is just amazing it's I, partially i think it's because there is a demand for it but it's designed to stay fresh you're absolutely right from the packaging from the the way the snacks are made but most importantly it's because there's a, a desiccant in every single snack for the most part which is the the pack that goes in to remove the oxygen and the from the air so it keeps the snack fresh in, in american snacks it's a lot rarer to see individually packaged snacks of desiccants in them and so things like little things like that all add to how Japanese food companies keep their stuff so fresh. Right. And also when you open tiny little packaging, you don't have to struggle. It's like too, even too easy to open it so that inside right. is not broken and anything. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Right. So uh, for listeners who are not familiar with Japanese snacks, um, could you give us some examples of classic or typical Japanese snacks? Sure. Um, so, I mean, there's a whole range, right? There's uh, some, and you can, it goes in spectrums of indirections from traditional to modern, from famous to not famous, from regional to international. Um, international things that people are familiar with are like Paki or Haichu, as I mentioned before, Pretz, um, Koala Mamachi, which is that little chocolate koala thing. Um, much more domestic in Japan, like just to the regional areas. There's like mango chiffon cakes from Miyazaki, there's like pineapple, chinsko from Okinawa. Like, it gets really specific to what type of agriculture you can find. A lot of cheese cookies from Hokkaido. That um, also ranges, like I said, from traditional, modern traditional being things that are much more red bean based, like yokan, like monaka, um, which people may not be as familiar with. And then to the modern, that's people know more like the Longbusha cookies, the Bomkuhen cakes from Germany, um, et cetera. Um, and so what's wonderful about Japan, Japanese snacks specifically, is that this whole spectrum is covered <laughs> of everything I just mentioned. Um, and it's done so well. All of it is very delicious. And that's what makes it so fun to do what I do. <laughs> mm, right. And, uh, you know, I, I don't go back to Japan like, you know, every month or something. But 
when I go back, there's always a new dessert or sweets that there's a line for. Like if we go to a supermarket, uh, that item is sold out. Like one specific bakery, uh, there's a specific sweet. People just line up for hours. So there's a very uh, fast-moving market trend too. Um, yeah, so people are crazy about dessert. <laughs> right. And actually, I, you know, you mentioned Pocky a couple of times. And I, Pocky is one of the most um, you know, symbolic Japanese sweets. And I was looking at where it came from. And originally, it was made by Izaki Guriko, which is a big company for making snacks, and, uh, which is set, headquartered in Osaka. And it was born in 1966. And uh, it was the first chocolate snack that you can hold without missing your fingers. And the uh, idea of the stick of biscuit chocolate, uh, dipped in with chocolate, came from the famous um, regional Osaka food, which is kushikatsu. Um, that means cutlet in skewers. So the cutlet on skewers turned to be chocolate. I thought it was a very uh, interesting idea. And now everywhere in That's the world. That's really cool. I didn't Pocky. realize Paki was inspired yeah. by kushikatsu. I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Okay. So, uh, so you founded Box in April 2016. So, why did you open Box? Um, so, like, I mean, the, there's like a long story version, short story version, but, but basically, um, I came up with the concept of Boxu in November 2015. And I wanted to basically reiterate and launch as quickly as possible. Like, there's this whole concept of the MVP. When you do startups, which stands for like the minimally viable product, meaning like just get it out as fast as you can and just get start getting feedback from your customers and reiterate and improve on that product as time goes on. And so when I concepted it in 20, November 2015, I actually did a beta launch in January 2016, just a couple months later to like 20 friends. I, I like posted on Facebook and got friends to sign up and gave them a big discount. And from there, kind of gathered feedback for two months of what I can do better, how to improve the product, the curation, what people like, what they don't like type of thing. And then um, took a, a month off in March to really kind of get ready for my official launch. And then um, as you kind of know, we launched in April, 2016. And it also worked out really nicely because um, in Japanese culture, April is always the start of the new year for a lot of things from the school year to like new employees, whatever it is the start of like kind of a new season with the cherry blossoms blooming. So it's like, it kind of was coincidentally worked out to be very symbolic with Boxer starting in April that aligned up with Japanese kind of fresh start culture as well. Mm, right. Yeah, that's a very good point, right? Like, you know, the fiscal year is different in Japan. It's more from April to March. So that's interesting. And uh, so how do you define the concept of Boxer? Um, so like, I mean, one of the big reasons I came up with the name Boxu is that one, I mean, I thought it was a really cute pun to have the, the name of it just be box <laughs> in English, right? Boxu meaning box. And um, as you know, it's the English imported loan, loan word for Boxu. And in our logo itself, we also have the Japanese more traditional word, which is Hako. Um, they mean you know, very similar things, but um the way I kind of designed the logo and the branding is that Boxu is supposed to be like a modern, approachable interpretation of traditional Japanese culture, um, starting with snacks as is a really easy bridge to everyone. Um, but like it's called Boxu, so it could be a literal and metaphorical box for anything that can go in its bridge to the world. Um, so I use this as like kind of the first stepping stone to a, a much kind of bigger plan to really connect people around the world to authentic Japanese culture and food. Hey. Mm, yeah, when I click on your uh, website page, there's the box and the Japanese letter comes like, you know, kind of like uh, opening. And I like that. It's a romantic idea of box, right? Who doesn't want to have a box? It's a gift box. So I really thought mm -hmm. it was a good name. <laughs> Plus, so, as a small little like kind of funny aside was that the domain name was available the way I spell it, B-O-K-K-S-U. And I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. A six letter domain in this day and age. So I immediately bought boxer.com <laughs> and that, was, it, that just cinched the deal for me the fact that i was able to get that domain <laughs> right <laughs> congratulations thank um, you so so how many items do you carry on your website and uh how do you find these uh, products yeah so um to kind of explain a little bit about the context 
there's basically two big parts of the business at Voxu nowadays. One is the subscription box side, um, which is what we first launched with in April 2016. Um, and that is like a monthly box that changes every single time. And for that one, we have maybe have about 12 to 14 different products that go in every single month. However, as of three years ago, starting from January 2018, uh, we've launched what we call the Boxu Market, kind of like a Boxu Ichiba um, type of meaning, uh, which means market in Japanese. And the idea there is that now when people discover these products in the box they really like, if they want more of it, they can. We offer it on our website. You can buy it individually, on demand, shipped directly to you from Japan as well. And on that section of the site, three years ago, it was maybe about 20 to 30 SKUs, mostly uh, SKUs being products, uh, mostly things that were in the box. But nowadays that part of the website and business has grown quite a lot. Um, and now we have over 200 different products that we sell on demand. And from snacks to tea, to matcha tea sets, to kitchenware, um, we just launched a ramen collection a few weeks ago that's doing super well because Japanese instant ramen is also amazing, crazy delicious and very different from like the cheaper cup ramen we see everywhere in America. And so there's a lot of expansion coming for Voxu into the future. Right. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. If you go to Japanese supermarket, the instant ramen section, it's so competitive. It's, it's not, it's like a joke. The whole shelf can be filled with 20, 30 different kinds of instant ramen. So that's very interesting that you started to carry it. I have to look up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and then you offer, like you said, you, you offer monthly subscription box. So what snacks are typically in the box and uh, what is the philosophy behind the selection to make it in one package? Because a lot of our customers want to get to know Japan or Japanese food culture, but they don't know like what are the good ones, what, you know, like, et cetera, like what are premium, what's authentic and not. We've kind of set ourselves up to be the curator, the thoughtful, meticulous curator for them. Um, so they rely on us for us to give them a great balance every single month based around some type of really fun cultural theme. And we actually plan out our themes first. So that's already planned out for the whole year. We do that six months to 12 months in advance. And um, for example, coming up next month, the theme is Sakura Spring. Um, because that's what's coming up in March and April some type of time period where the box is going to be curated full of a lot of delicious, brightly pink packaged sakura and cherry blo cherry blossom and ume, which are plum blossom snacks. Um, we always have a mix of sweet and savory, although it leans a little heavily sweet, um, mainly because a lot of the kind of premium Japanese snacks are on the sweeter side. Uh, and then there's always a tea pairing every single month. And we were the first company to come up with that, the only company that does that well. And like, that, and that's from my experience of having lived in Japan, where every time you eat these omiyage snacks, you almost always drink it with tea. It's very rare that you just kind of eat it by yourself, which is also a very different cultural thing from America, where generally speaking in America, you just kind of eat the snack. But like things just pair much better when you have a nice like genmai cha or hoji cha or something. Um, so that's kind of the, the idea of this box. And we create, like I said, curate 12 to 14 different products every month and put multiples of like maybe two of each to give people the idea that the chance to share, to like taste it, and then maybe have a little more later to kind of make it a whole experience to unbox with their loved ones together. Mm, right. And I like, really like the, the idea of uh, the tea pairings. Like, like you said, if you get, you get some sweet, like, oh, thank you so much. Well, let's get some tea. That's always the case, always, 100%. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how popular is the subscription option and, um, do you think it's a good idea? Shall we, if you don't know anything about Japanese speech, shall we just sign up for a monthly subs subscription? Um, what do you mean when you ask how popular is a subscription option? Uh, yeah, like, you know, the percentage of the whole customers you have, people tend to go for, um, you know, the subscription option. I think my question is also, you know, related to how people are familiar with Japanese snacks, because if you know, you, you can just go straight into the market section, right? It's true. So, um, I mean, we are at our core. That's first and foremost is a you know subscription box, monthly subscription box company. That's what we launched with. Um, we've been running that for almost five years now. The, the market section of it has only been around for about three years. And so the subscription box is the, the vast majority of our customer base is subscribed to Boxu, especially because most people don't know the products and so they need to kind of be able to be introduced to it and discover it through the box and then they can go buy in the market although certainly there have been people that subscribe for a few months and then 
decided they've already found some things they like and they just go to the market and buy from there directly and then stop subscribing. That's totally great too. However, um, like 85 plus percent of our customer base is on the subscription model because um, it's just new every single month and they love that we keep things fresh and interesting and we never repeat. And like um, they learn something new every time as well because the themes are always different and we always have a, a 16 plus page culture guide magazine that's in the box where we write it ourselves, we do our own photography, our own copy, we have a map of Japan. We show exactly where these products are from. So then we sometimes have interviews or like, you know, stories about the makers that make these products, um, things like that that really help give get people immersed into exploring and experiencing Japan through Ruboxu. Mm, right. Okay, well, just by hearing it, I get excited, like, you know, oh, before opening the box, what's inside, right? It's just like another excitement <laughs> to present to yourself, but you don't know what's inside. Um, okay, so we'll take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll discuss Japanese snack makers uh, who have won their businesses over generations. Just Egg is now the fastest growing egg brand in the United States. Bring more plant-based consumers in your doors with easy-to-use Just Egg. You can get started with a free sample. Just head to ju.st slash hrn. That's ju.st slash hrn. Made from plants, Just Egg is a better egg for you and for the planet. It's healthier with no cholesterol and less sad saturated fat and it's more sustainable just egg uses less water and generates fewer carbon emissions most importantly it's delicious for our listeners who operate a food service establishment you can get a sample for free head to ju.st slash hrn that's ju.st slash hrn just Egg makes a delicious plant-based addition to any menu. It's available as a liquid scramble. Great for omelets, frittatas, stir-fries, and French toast. There's also a frozen pre-baked folded version that's ideal for filling breakfast sandwiches or topping salads. Chef Jose Andres calls Just Egg mind-blowing, and Bon Appetit says, It's so good, I feel guilty eating it. Put the fastest-growing egg brand on your menu. Get a free sample of Just Egg for your restaurant at ju.st slash hrn. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Eats. I'm your host, Aki Kukatema, and my guest today is Danny Tang, who is the founder of Box. Sorry, Box. <laughs> Box delivers <laughs> to your okay. door. Yeah, yeah, Box <laughs> That's cute. And Box delivers to your door the experience of tasting authentic Japanese snacks, candies, teas, sourced directly from generations old small family businesses. All right. So, so you mentioned, you know, 20 page booklet explaining the product how it came from and who made it, which is a lot of work. So <laughs> why it's it's a lot of work. So why it is. did you do no, that? It is. <laughs> I mean it's, it's every, a, every month it's a lot of work. Every every month's curation is a lot of work. We work with like ten different vendors just to get a box as, and it changes every single month. And so, you know, like we're we are fanatical and like meticulous about making sure each month's experience is outstanding. We love hearing from our customers that like Oh my God, no, this month was my favorite box ever. Box was really outdone themselves. Like we're always trying to raise that bar to give our our long-term subscribers still something to look forward to every month. Uh, we've had people subscribing to us for like four plus years now, which I'm just so excited about. And this in this booklet, this magazine that we produce is another piece of that whole puzzle of this whole what makes Boxu so um like makes so many people passionate about what we do. And it, it to give you a little context, when we first started, that was just a postcard. It was like a double-sided postcard with a little bit of information about the snacks. And it started off because most people can't read Japanese. And so we were just helping translate um, to like explain how to enjoy this product, how like if, what the common allergens are, allergens are in it, if it's vegetarian or not, is it sweet or savory? Just to give some basic information so that people can have a context before they even bite into the product. And, um, and then that evolved from there to becoming like, 
then it was like a folded postcard and then became like a trifold thing. And then as of a year or two, a couple of years ago, we started making it into a magazine because there's just so much content now. We have a, a map of Japan, as I mentioned, that and it shows exactly where, where, where in Japan the snack is from. Um, and so by doing this, it, we really are trying to transport our customers worldwide kind of like through Japan. It's almost like if you can't fly to Japan right now because of what's going on in the world, then we'll you know fly Japan to you through this box and through this magazine and these beautiful pictures of all the like if the box is Kyoto theme, then we have a lot of pictures of the temples and the makers and the wonderful matcha snacks that come from Kyoto, et cetera. Um, and that's what really ties the whole box together. Like as opposed to other boxes out there, which are very random in the way they put snacks and candies in a box, we tightly curated around the theme. So we want to make sure we have this booklet, this guide that really kind of ties it all together and makes them experience the food and the color and the taste and, and the culture all at the same time. Oh wow! So I, I really have to order a box just for the sake of even just looking at the book. And I have to say, I think what you're doing, I really appreciate what you're doing because you are acting as a marketer for small producers, and for each of them, there's no way to promote themselves. So you're doing for them, and you have on the website there is a page makers where you can find several producers, fantastic. Documentary videos that you created in Japan yourself, and I watched all, all each one of them, and <laughs> I was moved. So yeah, I just kind of want to say thank you for, on behalf of the producers, how much value you are producing for their, you know, very traditional small businesses. Uh, thank you. I mean, I also really grateful to the makers themselves for. They spent the whole day or two sometimes with me and my small documentary film crew, giving me all that time. They're busy, busy people themselves, and um, you know, like I, it was, it was, it was something I'd been dreaming about doing for years, even from the beginning of starting Boxu. Is that, like, I would meet these makers when I used to go to Japan. Um, I used to fly to Japan every two months and to go meet with like makers or partners or whatever, and we would go out and have dinner and drinks together after meeting, and like they would tell me their stories of like. Why in this day and age they took over the family business, like because it, it goes back 120 years and their grandfather, blah blah blah, and all that. And I'm like, oh my god, these are amazing stories. Like, and I shouldn't be the only one to hear them. Like, our the whole world should hear them. Our customers should hear them. And this is something that um, is very different from America. America doesn't have a strong concept of like familial generational family businesses, especially ones so obsessed with food craftsmanship. Um, and so I, I just love the philosophy on kind of craftsmanship and life that all of them had. And I wanted to show that through this documentary. And so we um, kind of did our best to be scrappy and got some people together and went over and created this. It was a ton of work, though. <laughs> That's for sure. Mm, right. Well, it was so worth it. And listeners, I really suggest that you watch it because, uh, yeah, it really feel how producers put their efforts, soul and everything into their products and uh, and their little, you know, blogs added to it to fill what you couldn't fit in uh, each video. So, yeah. Uh, are you going to produce more videos? I mean, the, it would depend on like kind of a lot of things, but we really want to do a season two. Um, the issue, of course, is that none of us can fly to Japan right now, given all of the different, um, you know, suspensions going on throughout the world. So. Right. Hopefully next year. <laughs> yeah. I'll keep watching. <laughs> All right. So how many artisanal producers like them do work with? We have direct relationships with, at this point, probably over a hundred family, like producers all throughout Japan. Wow. Um, it's been, yeah, it's been a, a ton of work to also make these relationships and to maintain them. Mm, right. So uh, maybe you can give us some examples of producers. Yeah. Um, so, for example, there's a company called Homa Ampan that's up in Hokkaido, and uh, he's in one of our documentaries. But he's this amazing, jovial, super friendly guy who's the fifth generation president of this company that makes Ampan, which is traditional Japanese red bean bun. And he's like kind of tried to modernize it in a lot of ways. He's he's made like yuzu Ampan and like pumpkin Ampan and like different chocolate Ampan is a really popular one during Valentine's Day. And so kind of really cool, like almost modern infusions of this that um, is able to be individually packaged and then shipped around the world. Like normally Ampan is really hard to ship and stay fresh. 
but their food technology is also quite good. Um, and like kind of listening to his story about why he decided to take over the family business. And um, like he was a, a normal salaryman working all around Japan for many years before he went back to do so. Um, to one of my favorites is a hundred year old candy maker down in Kyoto. It's also fifth generation coincidentally. And the current president is, the new president is, gonna be, is quite young. And also when I asked him why he wanted to do so, he talked about just having a lot of pride about his family and the fact that in Kyoto, 100 years is still a relatively young company and that he wants to see his, his family company go to 200, 300 years, which I was just like, oh my God, I can't believe you just said that 100 years is a young company. And because um, <laughs> <laughs> in America, that would be almost uh, like unthinkable. Some of these companies in Japan are older than America itself. Um, and it's just like kind of really interesting to see that. And um, yeah, so hearing their stories uh, to like the, the, you know, not to always talk about the super old ones. I mean, there's only a 10 year old company named Fubion that's based out of Kyushu and Tokyo. And he's a relatively, once again, young um, founder, but he, his whole thing was that he wanted to take the regional's fruit produce to this like national level, where if it's in Kyushu area, he makes a lot of snacks with mentaiko and strawberry. If it's Tokyo, he has a lot of like apple and um, things like that. And to really like make them more into the beautifully packaged omiyage level that would be sold in the airports and the train stations. And he has grown so fast, his company. And so I was really impressed with his modernization as well. Mm, right. So, okay. <laughs> I hope really you can keep featuring more producers. And again, you're really uh, the, acting as a marketing arm for those people who have no idea how to sell uh, outside of Japan. So. Hopefully you're yeah, going. I mean, that's kind of what we are so excited to be able to provide the service because a lot of these makers are going through a really hard time, even before COVID and especially during COVID, because um, just when Japan's population is decreasing and you can't just only sell domestically. And also young Japanese people are unfortunately not that interested in traditional Japanese snacks. I think young Japanese people are interested in like international snacks, like everybody wants what they don't know and don't have type of thing. But the rest of the world is like so hungry for Japanese products. And that's where we can come in and help uplift and elevate these artisans' stories and products to the world stage. Um, and I'm really excited to just like keep them alive for generations to come, hopefully. Mm. The funny thing is that if something's recognized outside of Japan, Japanese people realize that, oh, wow, that's awesome. So we have to do consume more of that. <laughs> so you're creating, redeveloping the Japanese market too, hopefully in the near future. So, uh, so what are the demographics of your customers who are eating Japanese snacks? Yeah, I mean, there's honestly a really wide range. Um, I truly believe that some, when I was first starting, a lot of people thought that my demographics were very small and niche. Like I got that a lot as feedback. Like, oh, this must be a very niche business. It must be only like Japanese expats around the world or something. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like, like. The Japanese cultural market is exploding worldwide. Like more and more people are visiting Japan, studying Japanese, eating Japanese food, watching anime, whatever it is, people are consuming it. And so it spans a lot of different types of people. In our case, um, the vast majority of our customers are not Japanese. They're, um, they're Caucasian women between the ages of 25 and 44 is the largest piece, but there's all types like Asian Americans make up a big part of it. Um, we ship worldwide, um, to be clear, we ship directly from Japan. So we have customers in about 100 countries around the world as well, U.S. being the single largest market. But we have Canada, Australia, Singapore, um, like Israel. Like there's honestly big Japanese food culture lovers everywhere. And so we kind of see the spectrum all across. Generally speaking, they do lean a little bit female um, and they lean a little bit in the 25 to 44 because it's a bit of a luxury product. Mm, right. And if you could expand the ramen section, probably you get more male customers too. Mm, possibly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what items are most popular right now? So we do have some like perennially popular items on both the snack and uh, the sweet and savory sides. On the sweet side, um, there's probably two that are constantly always selling really well. Um, one of which is a what's called a white strawberry. And it's from this one maker in Nagano Prefecture. Um, it's a white chocolate infused strawberry. So it's not covered or coated like people might normally think of it. It's actually a strawberry that's been freeze dried to remove the water content. 
then reinfused through this patented process of liquid white chocolate. And then it's cooled down and it's delicious and beautiful and you crunch into it and it's like tart and smooth and sweet all at the same time. Um, wow. It's like eating, yeah, a chocolate, a strawberry made out of chocolate. Oh um, number that's two great. would be... Yeah, that's really high tech, right? I, I, I didn't yeah. know that's possible. One of our best sellers by far. Um, number two would be a, um, a kind of our candy maker in Kyoto making either the sakura candy with real sakura petals inside the kind of um, the candy itself or um, the yuzu sake candy, which was an exclusive collaboration between the two of us because I personally love yuzu shu, uh, which is people know as yuzu sake. And so I wanted that in the candy and it, it tastes so good. There's like real yuzu peel and real sake in there. Um, so those are really, on the savory side, um, like seaweed tempura chips with sudachi citrus is a, also a big, big seller. A lot of people love the crunch and the, the tartness of that. Mm, so sudachi, for listeners who are familiar with uh, sudachi, sudachi is a kind of citrus and it's similar to, it's, it's green, it's not um, yuzu, but there's a very unique uh, flavor and it's addictive and it comes always <laughs> with uh, nabe dishes in Japan. So, wow, that's exciting. Okay. And uh, so what else do you have? <laughs> I mean, we've sold hundreds, like probably we've carried like hundreds and hundreds and now thousands SKUs, like different products by now. But um, what are some other big favorites I have? I, I really like um, these, let's see. I'm like have to I like kind of have to like think about it a little bit, but like we've been getting into those premium gummies that Japanese really has that Japan is really big for as well. And uh, the funny story about that is that my my Japan team, my the team that kind of curates the box, I used to do the curation way back in the day, but now uh, we have a, a team that's dedicated towards doing that. They've been trying to push me to put in more like gummies, like you know, gummies in our boxes for a while, but I kind of refuse because in my mind as a Westerner, um, a little bit like gummies are seen as a kid's thing like gummy bears and things. But in Japan, there's like also, once again, adult, mature flavored, delicious, like real fruit juice gummies. And uh, oh my God, they've been selling like crazy for us too. Um, there's these like puree gummies with grape and with lemon. There's also been this like lychee gummy that has like real lychee juice inside. That's really, really good. Um, like things like this are just like the texture and the taste are unlike anything I've ever had in America. Wow. Um, so I, I highly recommend checking those out. And recently, since I mentioned it as well, um, our ramens have been selling super duper well. Like we have this one tonkotsu instant ramen that I was shocked at how good it was. Like it tasted like a ramen shop's ramen. It was that authentic. And I was like, oh my God, how is this even possible that this instant cup ramen could taste this good from Japan? Mm, wow. Okay. Um, yeah, that makes me think that, you know, like uh, Kit Kat is known for really a huge variation of flavors globally. And when it comes to the Japanese market, they have a ridiculous, huge range of new flavors <laughs> and like Japanese sake flavors to something that you even, even don't think of and uh, like pokies too. So it sounds like you really showcases, um, you know, the variation of Japanese creativity when it comes to the snacks. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed perusing what you have on the, on your market so that's exciting and you keep adding more products yeah the goal is to keep growing the market it's one of our big kind of expansion goals for this year we currently have about over 200 products on there but maybe we depending on how things go we're trying to get to about a thousand products by the end of year mm, right and i got this number that, uh in december 9 2019 books shipped orders to over uh, fifteen thousand subscribers to 70 plus countries but since then, uh, how has COVID affected your business? Yeah, um, COVID has been, it's been um, complicated for sure. Like there have been ups, there have been downs, there have been a lot of downs last year. Um, to be perfectly honest, when COVID was first hitting um, the world and then America in March, like things were really scary. Um, I mean, not just on the kind of personal health side, but like our whole business is that we ship internationally from Japan to the world directly to customers. And the one thing that definitely got affected by COVID is the severe reduction of international flights and how difficult global shipping logistics have become. And like we were doing our best to work and trying to survive through it. And then I distinctly remember on April 22nd, that was like the worst day of 2020 for me, um, Japan Post announced their suspension to the US 
Um, and Japan Post has still suspended shipping to the U.S. It's been almost a year later now, and you still cannot that easily ship to the U.S. from Japan. Um, and I, for a bit, thought that, my God, is this is this going to be over? Like <laughs> my four years of hard work, is it going to just go down the toilet? But I worked as soon as I got over that initial shock. I like worked my butt off for two weeks, contacted everybody in logistics and shipping that I could find, talked to like UPS, FedEx, every lots of third-party logistics companies. And fortunately, found an alternative solution to keep shipping to the U.S. So that allowed us to keep our business humming and running along, even though it was very scary for a little bit. But having said that, it's still the shipping got more expensive now worldwide, even for, for and so that's been really tough for our margins and and all of that. Um, so like, to, we still are dealing with that on a regular basis. Where country like we can ship there, we can't ship there. It keeps changing all the time. Having said that. Um, the silver lining from this whole experience is, well, one, I'm now a big expert on global shipping logistics, but two, <laughs> uh, um, I mean, people are stuck at home and they're itching to travel and they're itching to have new experiences. And we've seen a, a big surge in interest in what Boxer has to offer because it's, it's not just things you can find in your local market. It's things that are truly only you can find in Japan. And so we've seen our, um, our growth grow very, very strongly from 20, end of 2019 to end of 2020. Um, it's been a, a very um, interest, uh, interesting time to be in this industry right now. Right. Amazing. So I, I heard that Japan is finally uh, rolling out uh, vaccines. So hopefully uh, your shipment issue is going to be resolved before too long. Hopefully. Um, I mean, I, I've been thinking and hoping it would be resolved. I, like I always think, oh, maybe just a couple more months. But I, you know, at this point, it's safer to make a lot of different backup plans just to keep the business continuity going, type of thing. Mm, but yeah. So that was like a good learning experience at early stage of business, I guess. Yes, it's uh, definitely made me a, a something like. A, the way some people put it is that we've gone through kind of like a war, like a wartime CEO, and we've gone through this really tough period to keep our company alive and together, and kind of motivated to keep providing the service for our customers worldwide. Mm, so, right. Well, it's hard to imagine what could it be the bigger issues, right, for your business. So, <laughs> yeah, you're going now invincible, I guess. Uh, <laughs> there's in the startup world, there's always something that comes up. So I. For the last five years of running this business, every every couple months there's some crisis. So I'm I'm just getting ready to w deal with the next things for sure. Mm, right, mm -hmm. that's the right mindset. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so based on that, what are your plans for for what? Uh, for I don't know. It could be anything. Like considering what you've done so far, it could be long term, short term. Yeah, I mean, so there's a lot of ways we can go with this. A lot of it will depend on a lot of global situation and circumstances, but we certainly plan to keep providing the high level of excellent curation and service we have with our core business of the subscription box. Um, we also plan to expand our market, as I mentioned, like we currently have only about 200 SKUs. We definitely plan to expand that to a lot more to become the go-to place for people to come and find Japan exclusive, authentic products from artisans with stories, et cetera. We're gonna try to have more of that up there. Um, we also plan to um, potentially do a lot more partnerships with Japanese um, makers and businesses and companies and ways to really elevate and help each other out because Boxu is the only company out there that's supporting the artisans in these ways. Uh, most other ones are mostly using like mass produced candies and things like that. And then kind of top of that, like we, are looking into possibilities of releasing new types of subscription boxes, whether it be a ramen box or something else. Um, we're, we're kind of still thinking about that. But yeah, there's there's big plans for this year. Um, I can't reveal all of them just yet, unfortunately, but because like we don't it some of it not even at the starting line. So it's all just kind of ideas. Um, but Box is here to stay and here to keep growing and providing our whole mission is to inspire hunger for authentic Japanese products. So um, there's a lot more we can do for that. Right. So listeners, if you haven't tried uh, looking at the box, uh, box to website, you should, because it's amazing. It's fun and informative and makes you hungry. And uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the snacks are not going to disappoint you. So, okay. So uh, where can we find your updates online and uh, social media? 
Yeah. So, um, I mean, an easy thing we are on Facebook, Instagram, our handle is all just, you know, at Boxu, B-O-K-K-S-U. Um, and then like, but the best way to stay up to date on what's happening is to sign up for our mailing list. If one just goes to boxu.com, scroll right to the bottom, there's a place to put in one's email. And um, we're, we're very kind of good about keeping our whole worldwide mailing list base kind of updated on new product launches, new features, sales, like whatever we're doing, um, kind of maker stories, things like that. We, we send through email quite a lot. Mm, okay, great. So I really wish you luck and uh, thank you for joining us today, Danny. Thank you very much, Akiko, for having me. This has been really fun. <laughs> right. So listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at japanese at heritageradionetwork.org or akikokatema.com. Japanese is a weekly program and always available at heritageradionetwork.org as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. The engineer today is Man Wang, and thank you for listening. I will see you next week. Japanese is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thank you for listening.